right. And by the way, I think that psychologists, I mean, that lawyers practice psychology all the time. If you, if you didn't practice psychology, you wouldn't be an effective lawyer. But, um, you know, there's a, a form of bullying, too, that has not been mentioned in that. You know, most of, most of the time when we talk about bullying, we talk about aggression. But also there's bullying by seduction in which a client can seduce sexually, emotionally, however, financially, without. This is Mike Bassett, and welcome to the second ever panel episode of Legal Grounds. Today, we're going to talk about bullying as it pertains to the legal profession, because like it or not, it doesn't just happen. It's sadly so persistent that there are plenty of research papers, law journal articles, and yes, podcasts about the problem. First, I want to establish a working definition for what I mean when I say bullying. Now, forgive the somewhat wordy explication, but for the purposes of this conversation today, bullying is defined as this, the use of force, coercion, hurtful teasing or threat to abuse, aggressively dominate or intimidate. It is a behavior that is often repeated and habitual. One essential prerequisite is the perception by the bully or by others of an imbalance of physical or social power. This imbalance distinguishes bullying from conflict. Now, those listeners who work in the legal field in any capacity are rolling their eyes because even if they haven't been the specific target of bullying, They know about the attorney who yells at opposing counsel. They hear whispers about a judge who phones it in or is known to favor one party or the other, or the office whose support staff is full of infighting and grandstanding. But for those of you who aren't in the business of practicing law, according to a recently released global survey of nearly 7,000 lawyers in 135 countries, One in three male lawyers reported experiencing harassment or intimidation, and half, 50% of female lawyers responded yes to the same question. And to add a little depressing cherry on top of this statistical Sunday, an estimated 57% of the bullying incidents and 75% of the sexual harassment cases, they were never reported. But as I was getting ready for this show, it struck me that maybe these numbers wouldn't surprise my non-legal listeners. After all, look at the law, especially trial law. In films, it's almost always the final act where the brilliant and or righteous lawyer unleashes an impassioned cross-examination or devastating and unexpected closing argument. And what makes these moments so memorable is because either the opposing counsel or judge has been abusing their power in one way or the other. And even in the films where the good guy doesn't prevail, the entertainment value, the thing that makes the story stick with you, lies in knowing just how deeply a client or attorney was wronged. On television, I think the portrayal of law falls into two camps. First, there are shows about the law. The entertainment value comes from the same tropes present in film, but the time limit of a TV show only adds to the need for quickly noticeable tension, charged conversation, and an unrealistic expectation of the slow gears of the justice system. 
And because they have to book in the story so quickly, the bows that tie up all the emotional loose ends for a viewer are rarely nuanced. In the second camp, you have almost any other genre of television, be it sitcoms, soap operas, or God forbid, reality TV. In these shows, the lawyer is more often than not portrayed as an antagonist. In sitcoms, they are the easy butt of the joke. In soap operas, they operate more like private investigators or miracle workers. And in reality TV, when a lawyer shows up, I guarantee you nothing positive is happening. And to keep the last example brief, I don't think I've ever heard a song that celebrates the law. But I've heard plenty of solid tracks that are, let's politely say, unconcerned with the legal profession. Whenever I experience or witness bullying, two thoughts usually come to mind. The person doing the bullying is either scared or unsure of themselves, and it is really, really tempting to want to engage in the same behavior. I've never understood bullying in the sense that I've never seen it as an effective tool for getting things done. Of course, I understand when it's happening, but I know from experience that the amount of energy it takes to be an asshole is far greater than being open to human error. And to put a fine point on this cold open, anyone who's listening should know that this isn't just about good manners. The practice of law has governing codes and lawyers and justices alike take an oath to adhere to them. In fact, it's such a lodestar in the profession that the Texas Disciplinary Rules of Professional Conduct, in the preamble, it states that a lawyer should use the law's procedures only for legitimate purposes and not to harass or intimidate others. Even the Code of Judicial Conduct states that a judge shall be patient, dignified, and courteous to litigants, jurors, witnesses, lawyers, and others with whom the judge deals in an official capacity. And with me today to discuss all aspects of this topic and more, I'm thrilled to be joined by Scott Stoley, James Dolan, and Amy Stewart. Scott is a solo appellate lawyer in Dallas. He is board certified in a civil appellate law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization. He's a former director of the State Bar of Texas and is a current member of the Texas Supreme Court Advisory Committee. James Dolan is a licensed professional counselor and executive coach who has practiced in Dallas for over 40 years. His work with lawyers focuses on stress, burnout, addiction, leadership, and peer relations, and he has contributed columns to the Texas Lawyer and Law.com on these topics for over 15 years. And last but certainly not least, Amy M. Stewart leads the only minority and women-owned litigation boutique, Stewart Law Group, with a focus on commercial and personal injury litigation, and as well as labor and employment matters, she is frequently retained in the late stages of lawsuits to join the client's trial team. Welcome everybody to Legal Grounds. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Don't everybody speak <clears throat> up at once. This is this is a shocker. I got a therapist and two lawyers, and everybody's being quiet. So, <laughs> Scott, here's what I'm going to do. I, I've never done this before on Legal Grounds. I'm going to turn over the program to you. So if this thing goes great, it's my podcast. If it tanks, you ran it. I think that's only fair. Is that fair, Amy? <laughs> there we go. I think that's good. Okay, Scott, all you. Well, thanks much, Mike. I appreciate you having all of us. Um, your introduction sort of highlighted one of the reasons that 
I proposed this topic, it, it occurred to me several years ago that bullying is rampant in the legal profession. And uh, some of the statistics you outlined, I think, illustrate that. I also sort of ask myself, why is that? Why do we have so much bullying in the law? And uh, we'll explore that in this podcast. One of the answers that came to me was, well, because bullying works, or at least there's a perception on the part of the bully that it works. So um, I'm going to throw the first question to Amy. Do you do you think my thesis is correct? Is bullying rampant? And, and is it because bullies think it works? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I believe that. I think that bullying works because people use that as a go-to strategy, especially in litigation. And that can be driven by either that is what the client wants. We, we all know those types of clients who want to hire a quote unquote bulldog. And then the attorney who may be a bulldog or not is, is trying to zealously represent their client. And that's what they think it's going to be effective because that's number one, their go-to strategy is what the client has asked them to do. So yeah, I, I believe that based in my practice and my experience that, that your thesis is correct and that people believe bullying works and it must, or it wouldn't be as rampant as it is. So we're gonna focus on four types of bullying. As Mike explained, it's all about bullying in the law, but we're gonna talk about bullying by opposing counsel, uh, bullying by clients, bullying by your own colleagues, and then lastly, bullying by judges. So um, I'll just throw this out to the two lawyers, first of all, Mike or Amy, can you give some examples where uh, an opposing lawyer tried to bully you and what you did about it? Amy, you're the guest on the podcast, so you go first. Okay, so I had a <clears throat> one that happened probably a few months ago. And so since we are all getting used to having depositions over Zoom, that was what we were having. I was having a witness, one of our corporate witnesses being deposed and opposing counsel was not happy with the way that I was protecting the witness through objections. And I wasn't doing speaking objections. I was um, giving the objection and she said, and she just kept yelling at me. You can't say all that. You can't say all that. And I'm like, you asked me the basis. So I would say objection. She would ask basis. I'd give her the basis. And she said, you can't say that. And I said, well, then stop asking me for the basis. And we went around and around. And then she huffing and puffing. And there's four other counsel and my client on the Zoom while I'm watching her berate me about how to object appropriately. And then she stops asking questions. And she says, well, I'm just going to pull it up and I'm going to teach you how to do objections. And we're all sitting there and she's pull, and she's all up on the screen and she's, you know, see, looking at her nose hairs and she's like pulling up the rule and she's pulling it up and she's highlighting it. And I'm just sitting there like she's trying to bully me from 50 miles away. And I just kind of let her do it. And it was ineffective. And when she got done with her tutorial, I continued to object the same exact way. And she finally stopped asking me for the basis. But yeah, I mean, it, it, that's just one example. There are many. I'll let Bassett tell you how he gets picked on. So let me just say, I think your strategy was give her enough rope to hang herself and let her exhaust herself. It seemed like it was kind of a 
twofold strategy. Yeah, because I believe when you, it's kind of like with children. I mean, you just kind of let them spin out. And, I, you know, I'm not going to change my behavior. I'm not going to lower my ethical standards. I'm not going to engage back with you. I'm going to do my job and I'm going to do it professionally. And despite the way that you are treating me in an unprofessional manner, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go down that route. Mike? You know, it's funny. People being picked on that made me laugh. So I'm, I'm going to tell a story about three times I was picked on starting as a baby lawyer then about 10 years ago, and then pretty damn recently. So the first time, first deposition I ever covered when I was working for the late Jim Coles was a case where a bunch of kids from Highland Park got arrested for hanging out at a parking lot at a shopping center. And there were probably 15 defendants, and I was sent to this deposition. And I'm the 15th lawyer, and someone's being deposed. And so I, it gets to my turn. And, you know, I've got a 12-page outline, and by God, I'm asking every question in the outline, whether it's been answered 48 times or not. And about five questions in, the plaintiff's lawyer, who is now deceased, just threw a fit and stood up and was flailing around. But in the process of doing so, knocked over a tall, hot cup of coffee all over the court reporter and her machine. So I did learn as a young lawyer, if the court reporter can't take down the testimony, the deposition stops. Then about 10 years ago, I was working on a case where a lawyer, again, a very well-known lawyer, very successful lawyer, gets hired as local counsel for my client. And I would get these text messages at about 2.30 in the morning from this lawyer that were incredibly hateful and just really mean. And so I called him and I said, sort of joking, but to kind of break the ice, did your mother drop you on your head as you were a child? because some of the stuff he said was just outlandish. And then recently I was involved in a case where my Zoom feed dropped off and I had to jump back in a deposition. And the plaintiff lawyer accused me of gamesmanship and in fact brought it up in front of the judge saying that I was trying to manipulate the witness's testimony by selectively dropping off the Zoom call. So in all three of those instances, you know, the first one, I didn't know sick him from come here, so I didn't do anything. In the second one, I was a little bit more, I guess, bold. And in the third one, I just ignored it, and it ended up being a nothing deal. But yeah, I'm going to echo Amy Cinnamons. People do this because it works. If it didn't work, people wouldn't do it. So let's bring in the psychotherapist, Jim. What what do you view from your perspective, your your professional perspective, what, what is the cause of this kind of legal bullying? Fear. Fear. Yeah. And very much unrecognized fear. But back when, when Mike first opened and he asked the question, why is there so much um, bullying in the legal profession? My, my first thought was there's because there's so much fear in the legal profession. And I think rightly, you know, there, there's a lot to be afraid of when you're representing the interests, you know, when uh, of of clients, whether they're plaintiff or defendant or whoever, there's so much money involved, and there's so much um, uh, consequence to succeeding or failing in these matters that there that people are bringing a big load of fear to to the deposition or to the trial or whatever, and uh, some people know how to manage it and care for it and and live with it. And others make sure they 
frighten as many people as they can. So from your perspective, does the law create bullies or does the law attract bullies or is it? I think, I think, it, I think it attracts bullies. <laughs> I once had a, a, a lawyer client uh, of mine a long time ago tell me that he made, he made a damn good living by being paid for all of his very worst characteristics. <clears throat> wow. <laughs> that's that's a that's pretty blunt observation there. Um, you had also mentioned one time, Jim, that the law gives lawyers such powerful tools. How does that play into the bullying? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, if if it look, look at any uh, preschool um, when the kids are out in the, on the playground. Um, there will always be some boy that's going to go over and pick up the biggest stick he can find and start whacking people over the head with it. And I think that, you know, carry that forward into adult, uh, well, quote, adult professional life, unquote. Um, people discover that they've got this, this big stick that can be used in all kinds of ways. And uh, there's a certain percentage of those folks that are flawed enough, frightened enough, wounded enough, scared enough that they're going to take advantage of that big stick and uh, do what they will with it. I, I had a lawyer recently try to bully me with one of those sticks. I had, I filed a mandamus proceeding in the court of appeals, which is a, it's a specialized type of appeal for those of you who aren't lawyers who are listening. And um, I waited to see if the court showed us an interest in the case. And when the court did by asking the other side for a response, we decided to go ahead and file a motion with the Court of Appeals to ask them to um, put a hold on the trial court order and basically preclude the trial court from proceeding while this mandamus was pending. And this lawyer, I had, I had to consult with the other lawyers to get their position before I filed the motion. And one of the lawyers fired back an email to me. Now, this is a lawyer who I didn't know he didn't know me, never heard of him. He files, fires back an email and says, what's your basis for filing this motion for stay? Um, go ahead and file your motion and, uh, and I'll file a motion for sanctions on you. And I thought to myself, wow, he's, he's trying to bully me. Um, and when the Court of Appeals just showed they have enough interest in this case to want a response. So there's some reason to believe they would grant my motion for stay. So what I did was I called out his behavior in my certificate of conference. I put that, you know, lawyer X opposes my motion and also threatened to file a motion for sanctions against me. So, wow. so I called out his motion in my court papers to let the court see it. And then lo and behold, um, I never got a motion for sanctions. So I think calling out the behavior is, is one important tactic. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, yeah. I think you, I love how you, I love how you did that. I've done that in the past as well. Or, you know, the CYA emails back and forth to, to establish like what has been said and, and so that those can be attached to any motion or if you can take that into the hearing. But I think that is a very good strategy because sometimes you just have to hit a bully in the nose. 
Yes, um, indeed. Figuratively speaking, everyone listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So um, before we move on to bullying by clients, one last question about bullying by opposing counsel. Um, well, actually, it's two questions. Number one, Amy, are, are women particularly susceptible to being bullied? And Mike, number two, are young lawyers particularly susceptible to being bullied? Absolutely. Um, as a young lawyer and as a 50-year-old lawyer, I mean, I get bullied constantly um, by opposing counsel. And it's not just, again, this is not just guys against girls. I mean, the one I was telling you about earlier, that was another woman that was attempting to bully me. So I want to be clear that we're not just talking about guys. We're also talking about women that are in the profession that like me, I grew up um, in the profession and was uh, um, my mentors were older white men. And so I saw some bullies. I saw some folks who did not bully. And a lot of women are in the same boat as me that their mentors were older white men. And so they may have seen that. And then they say, you know, that strategy works and I'm going to go with it. So, yeah, women are notoriously bullied not only by opposing counsel, but as well as the judges as well. I've seen it. It makes me cringe. Uh, and, you know, it's just the life that we chose, unfortunately. And, you know, when it comes to young lawyers, unfortunately, yes, I think they are absolutely subject to more bullying. And I will say this, if you are a more experienced lawyer and you are going up against a lawyer that you know is, is younger, shame on you. Right. For bullying them. And I will tell a true story and I will use names because it's a very positive story. We had a lawyer in our office uh, involved in a matter uh, that was sort of new to the, in, the area of personal injury defense work. And Al Ellis was the plaintiff's lawyer. And Al represented his client very well and very vigorously, but was a consummate professional to this lawyer and worked with them and gave them some pointers along the way. Did Al get all and more than he had coming for his client? I think he did. I think he got a great result. But he also left a positive impression on this lawyer. So I think we see it a lot. And I think it is up to us in the legal profession, the old white dudes and the people that are more senior, to help train up these young lawyers and prepare them, sadly enough, to be bullied. Because I think it happens. And one of the things that we've started doing is for at least the first 30 days, all the young lawyers at our office have to go and attend, because it's so easy now by Zoom, depositions and hearings and watch to get a feel for how this works. But just like Amy said, unfortunately, I think young lawyers get bullied way too often. And that's really shitty because the lawyers doing it were young lawyers once. So I think we're agreed there's a systemic problem. Let's, uh, so we don't run out of time, let's move to bullying by clients. Um, and I'll start with a story where I, I got bullied by a client who um, was an insurance claim representative from New York, working for a big New York insurance company. And uh, he was trying to clobber me over the head with his own insurance company's guidelines for counsel. And uh, the things that where I apparently fell short and didn't get the permissions he think he thought I should get. And he just kept going on. Did you know our guidelines say this? And do you know our guidelines say that? And finally, I just got fed up with him. And I said, 
what I know is you're being a jerk. And he hemmed and hawed and he said, well, you can't call me that. <laughs> and uh, next thing I knew, a week later, I had a new claim rep on the file. So um, I was afraid that I had stepped over a line, but it, it turned out all right. Um, now, Mike, you have one of the ultimate bullying by client stories, and you've even, even written a book about it called The Man in the Ditch. Um, can you describe that one for us? Yeah, I'm going to describe it in less than 90 seconds. I got bullied by a client to do something illegal. I ended up making a stupid-ass decision and doing it, and it nearly cost me my freedom and my bar license, all because I was bullied by a client. And here's the thing I learned. He was a serial bullier and had done the same thing to other lawyers across the country. And I will tell you, it is prevalent as a defense lawyer because, and Amy knows this, you will get clients or carriers that work with you and they're like, hey, you know, Amy, listen, we've hooked you up with all this work. I need you, you know, my family and I are coming in town. We really like to see the Dallas Cowboys. And you're like, I can do that. You know, Amy, Amy, we've given you a lot of work. Listen on this, you know, I'm gonna need you to cut me some slack here. And it's incremental until it gets to be not incremental. Yeah. And so that's my story. And beware of it. All lawyers, I don't care whether the ink on your diploma is not yet dry or you've been doing it as long as I have. You need to be very, very aware of it. So, Mike, in the, in the essence of your story is the client's bullying involved telling you he would pull all of his substantial business from your firm if you didn't do what he wanted. Yeah, do that. And also he would tell everybody in the industry that I had lost it. So it would not only be his business, but all the business in an industry where he was pretty well known. And so, yeah, it, yeah, I wish now in retrospect, I, I do have the confidence and the strength to do it because I have been bullied like that again since then, not with as big a thing like that, but clients say, and Amy knows this too. Listen, Amy, we really need you to cut your bill on this because, you know, we send you a lot of work. You do send me a lot of work. And for that, I'm thankful, but I'm not cutting my bill. And nobody rides for free. Yeah, I think that I think you, the key there, Mike, is the confidence part. Because it goes with you, what you and Jim have said. It's the fear that we all live in as lawyers, that fearful that I'm going to lose a client and, and lose a stream of you know, income that comes into my firm and, and feeds the, the folks that I've hired. Uh, and then it's also the confidence of being able to say, like what you're talking about, Scott, where you're pushing back on people and, and calling a spade a spade in regard to how they're treating you. But there's so, it doesn't even matter really years of experience. It, it, it matters in regard to the types of experiences that you've had as a lawyer in regard to, do you have the confidence to stand up? Because you can have an attorney that's been practicing for 10 or 15 years that's never really engaged with the client because they're the service partner, right? That doesn't ever have those communications with the client. So you can have attorneys that have practiced a long time, but they just don't have that experience being able to deal with what Mike's talking about in regard to clients saying, Hey, Amy, we're going to, we have this whole bucket of business we're going to see, but we need you to give us a discount on this. Again, people don't ride for free. 
So uh, it's always dangerous for a lawyer to try to practice psychology, but it sounds to me like one thing that happens is that the bully who's got this internal fear is trying to project that fear onto somebody else to induce them to do something such as cut your bill. Does, does that sound right, Jim? Absolutely. It sounds right. And by the way, I think that psychologists, I mean, that lawyers practice psychology all the time. If you, if you didn't practice psychology, you wouldn't be an effective lawyer. But, um, you know, there's a, a form of bullying, too, that has not been mentioned in that, you know, most of, most of the time when we talk about bullying, we talk about aggression. But also there's bullying by seduction in which a client can seduce sexually, emotionally, however, financially, without using aggression and allow the lawyer to think that they're going to get something that maybe they shouldn't get or won't get or what have you, that that can be, and that's a very common form. And as you know, Mike's thing was as much a form of seduction as it was uh, a form of aggression. You know, there's the implied threat, but there's also the, the underlying business of maybe Mike, you'll get something better than you would get otherwise. Oh no, there and looking back on it though, and I'm gonna use the term, there was definitely grooming that went on for years. Oh, we're yeah. buddies, Jim. You and I are buddies. I mean, you know, we've seen each other's families. You know me, I know you. I'm your friend. And yeah, it is, it is very, it was the long con, if you want to use that term, Jim. Yeah, that's a good term for it. Huh. Um, I had a I had a supervisor a long time ago when I was still a punk <clears throat> kid, and uh he talked about uh he had a <laughs> he he had a statement that he would make from time to time when he was working with us trainees. If you screw your patients, they'll no, wait a minute. If you let your if you let let patients into your bed, they'll screw you every time. And so that can be, you know, metaphorically as well, you know. Agreed. You know, um I've I've uh, talked to Judge Royal Ferguson um about this kind of bullying. And he tells a great story about a senior lawyer back in the day in El Paso who had a client try to bully him into withdrawing a settlement offer that the lawyer said, no, I, I can't ethically do that. And, uh, and the client threatened to pull all the business. And the lawyer said, your files will all be at my receptionist desk by noon today. So um, that was a lawyer who wasn't going to buckle into the fear. And, and can I just say, on the outside looking in, and I get it, people think, well, of course you would, that's of course the, the response you would give. And I will just say that when you were in the moment, it may not be as black and white as you think it is. So for those of you on the outside looking in, I think that's just something to keep in mind. Yeah, like I'll speak to that. There is that vulnerability that you feel when you are being bullied or when you're having to make that decision with the client that we on this podcast are making it saying, you just make a decision and you just say this, or you put this in your certificate of conference. But I, but I, but I bet that when Scott was typing that up, there was a lot of thought that went into that delete, delete, type it up, delete, delete. So that it sounded right. It's the same way when, when we're getting, when we're getting bullied, I was sitting there on that zoom utterly embarrassed and angry and imposter syndrome, but it was very vulnerable. 
And I think when you're in those moments where you're being bullied, it's a time for you to step up and say something, but it's not going to feel comfortable as you do it. And, and you may, you have to do what's right and you have to go with your gut. But in that moment, you are, you're in the step, you're stepping into the fear as well. So let's move on to bullying by colleagues. You, you know, you wouldn't think that your own colleagues would bully you, but I can tell you firsthand that I've been subject to bullying by my law firm colleagues. I'm now a solo practitioner, but I've been with big firms. And one example is um, the general counsel of the firm I was with came into my office, shut the door and uh, told me that I better get on board with his view of a particular legal matter involving the firm um, or else I should go find a new job. Um, and I was just stunned. Get that, on board. Yeah. I was just stunned that, that he would do that. I should have told him to get the hell out of my office, but I listened to him, let him walk out. And then I just did continue to do what I was doing, which was writing the memos, talking to the right people. And ultimately I was vindicated. Um, but um, Mike or Amy, do you have examples of bullying by colleagues? I'm, I'm Amy, I'm going to jump in on this one because it was yeah. me as a young lawyer, not having a lot of confidence, but having a whole lot of swagger. So I was a two year, I, I see the face you're making. I, I was a two year lawyer at Coles and Thompson. <clears throat> and my routine was I would usually get to the office by five or 530 in the morning because I wanted to leave at five to be home with my young family. And so I had done that was my deal. And we were there was some event that I had invited some summer associates over to our house to have a barbecue and a swimming party. And I had not evidently invited the right people. Okay. And so a young partner came in and essentially said, Hey, yeah, listen, a um, couple things. One, um, when you have these parties, it's really important to invite certain people and, you know, certain partners. And I'm like, okay, I get that. And then he said, and, you know, we really need you to be a team player because we've kind of noticed that at like 5.05, you're usually gone every day. Okay. At this point, I'm 28 years old. And I said, well, here's the deal. And I won't even say the guy's name. I said, I'll make you a deal. If you come in when I come in, I will stay as late as you stay. But if you're not going to do that, I don't want to hear about it. Stupid thing right to do. Okay, <laughs> stupid thing to do. And there were huge repercussions. But that was a time that I kind of stepped up, but didn't do it in the right way. So top that story, Amy. So I've got a couple of examples. So I used to work at a firm and the, the managing partner. So we would send, this is back in the day where you would get handwritten edits on a document instead of the red line that's in Word. And so we would send in our work product by the end of the day. And then that next morning, the partner would have, I guess, stayed up all night and revised and, and sent you handwritten notes. And then at 8.30 every morning at the firm, you could hear through the firm, ding, 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 where the paralegals had scanned back in the, the motions or briefs or whatever, and then, and then sent them to your email boxes. So your entire team would get the, the, the revised document. And as you opened it up, on the side would be comments like, are you an idiot? 
this is effing ridiculous. Did you go to law school? And it would, I mean, so everybody's reading it. And then you would, I mean, every day, it was like a beat down every day. And so you would just flip through, flip through and deal with that. And so that was one thing that would happen. And then because this managing partner managed his firm that way, then the, the baby partners acted the same way. So I was lead, so I left the um, for the night at like 10.30 at night. I'm coming home, I'm at home, and I get a call from the assistant. And she says, are you coming back to the office? And I said, why? And she said, well, X, Y, and Z wants you back up here to work on this brief. Now, mind you, there was no deadline. This was busy work. There, there was nothing that needed to be done at 1030 at night. And I remember literally sitting on the couch going, I can't, I can't do this anymore. But it, that's how we talk about that this behavior is learned because that is how he was going to control me. But yeah, I mean, every single day, ding, 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 you knew that you're going to read horrible things about yourself. Hmm. So, Jim, um, how do how do you deal with bullying by a colleague like that? I mean, one of the one of the saying that comes to my mind is we treat other we, we teach people how to treat us. Um, does that come into play here? I think it does. Actually, that's a that's a good point, Scott. But you know what? When 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 it's a, a young lawyer who's still wanting to get approval points in the firm or, or with the partners or whatever they're in a very vulnerable position. And I doubt that, I think that uh, that person would need some kind of professional advice or coaching from outside in order to really be able to deal with it well. Um, it would take experience to know how to handle an attempt at bullying from, from, a, from a peer uh, or someone who's at the same level. It would take experience. And, and in, in that case, you know, you just, your position is just to say it, you know, it looks like uh, maybe we just need to come back and talk about this another day or maybe a little bit snarky. <laughs> looks like this isn't such a good day for you. Maybe we should, you know, table this conversation and get back to when you're feeling better. I've heard you tell a story when you were um, a surgical tech and how a surgeon would talk to you and how you finally responded to that. Can you briefly tell that story to illustrate how to handle something like that? This, but uh, one day I was working with some old school neurosurgeons and, you know, the neurosurgeons are the bastards of the surgery world. And they, they feel that they have all the wherewithal in the world to just beat on anybody's head that they, that they want to beat on. And um, one day this, 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 surgeon asked me if uh, my mother had any children who were born live. And um, then he proceeded to gripe about how difficult black people's skulls were to drill through, uh, stuff like that. And um, I was so, so offended. I, I, I went way out of bounds and I saw him at the scrub, scrub sink the next day and I confronted him about it. I said, I don't appreciate you talking to me that way. And I don't appreciate you talking about patients that way. We should, that's just not right. I can't deal with this. I was 22 years old. And um, he stopped and he looked at me and he said, you know what? You're right. 
and I apologize. And three days later, he was dead from suicide, gunshot wound to the head. Yeah. Wow. I, I don't know that I'd ever heard that in the end of that story, but um, I mean, I think that's an example of you attempting to teach someone how to treat you. And uh, he seemed to have gotten the message, um, at least in his apology. Believe me, I was trembling like a leaf. <laughs> oh, yeah, I bet. It's hard to do. And your point's a good one that when you're especially young and inexperienced, it, it's really a good idea to get some help. The surgical environment is one in which uh, historically surgeons felt, you know, most of them felt that they could just beat on anybody however they wanted to. They, and of course, they were afraid. You know, now it's easy to see now that that fear was driving that behavior. But there was one surgeon I worked with who was a former flight surgeon in uh, the Air Force during World War II. And uh, his, I'll even say his name. His name was Wayne Gossard. Wayne Gossard would walk in the OR every morning and shake everybody's hands before he went to the scrub sink and uh, greeted everybody by first name. And his operating room was the smoothest, most peaceful, most productive operating room I ever worked in. Like the guy that uh, that Mike talked about earlier, um, the older uh, plaintiff attorney who was so professional that uh, he helped the, the the young lawyer. I can't remember the man's name. Al Ellis. And, and I want Al to Ellis. pick up on something that Jim said. Couple of things. One is that is why, and Amy and I have, have broken bread over this. That is why we all lawyers need to have their community, their tribe, to help them to because somebody that you know will have run into that. Because at twenty two, good on you, Jim, to be able to do that. I wouldn't have been able to do that at twenty two. And second, and I know Amy and I think Scott will back me on this. A rainmaker at a law firm is like a neurosurgeon in an operating theater. Right. Right. Yes. Right. And nobody, absolutely nobody would ever dare say to Mr. X of X, X and X. That's an, you know, that is not the way to talk to people. Right. It's, it's, it's like the, the you could say the star football player or the the coach that makes a bajillion dollars because he wins. You know, those are the folks that, you know, sometimes exert their power and in negative ways. And I think that you have to have your tribe. You have to know that you're not alone, which is why I love that Scott has started this discussion that we can say you are not alone out there. If you are being bullied, find your tribe, come reach out to us. I, I know I speak for Mike that if someone had a concern, they could reach out to us. And I assume the same for Scott that we're not alone and, and you you need to ask for help because you'll get ate up. You'll get ate up by this profession if you don't seek help. And, uh, and I'm going to go even a step further. You know, I talk to a professional every week for 30 minutes by Zoom for my mental health. And it's great to have other lawyers, but I got to tell you, I think you need to seriously think about expanding your group to have somebody that you can speak with that's a trained professional. And there's no shame in it. There is no shame in it at all. But, you know, now what we're talking about is is, is um, the issue of wellness in, in, the, in the legal profession. Of course, wellness beyond the legal profession. But here we're talking about the legal profession. 
So we're talking, you know, and this issue of bullying to me connects directly up to the problems with with uh, alcoholism and addiction and with broken marriages and broken relationships and with the suicide rate in the in the legal profession. It all it all goes together. It's, there's no clean um, division from one area of difficulties to the other. They're all connected. So I think one of the one of the lessons here is. Um, if possible, build a coalition um, to address the bully. Um, I know I've done that in my life when I was on a nonprofit board and, uh, and I was being bullied to a certain way about a board uh, task force. And, uh, and I built a coalition among the rest of the board and we took care of it. Uh, we, in the interest of time, we should probably move on to the topic of bullying by judges which may be the most pernicious type of bullying because judges are so powerful. And you talk about the ultimate legal tools. Well, they have it. There's a huge power differential between us lawyers and judges. Um, so Mike and Amy, what, what can you talk about with respect to bullying by judges? Oof, that, that is the toughest one. Um, you know, you've, you've got to understand first, you have to have your intel on the judge because we all know the judges that are bullies. And from our side, from a defense perspective, I've got to let my client know that so that my client appreciates what I'm going to have to deal with if if they want to file a motion to dismiss that the, that the judge is just not going to like because it's a waste of the court's resources, which is then going to end up being the wrath of the judge that's going to positively, uh, potentially negatively impact what he or she believes about the client. I, I think intel is the issue there with having to communicate that to our clients. Second, I mean, I'm not sure how you deal with it other than you have to be ultra prepared for any type of hearings that you have before the judge. Uh, you have to really know not to engage with the judge, just like we talked about before, not engaging with opposing counsel or colleagues that are bullying you. Try to be as respectful as you can to the judge. And if this is a judge and you know you have an issue, ask for a record. Make sure that that is documented, the back and forth. And then if you need to do something later with that transcript, then you'll have it because you don't want to have a he said, he said, she said with a judge. Let's get it on the record. Mike, do you have anything to add? I do. And, you know, I thought about this getting as we were getting ready for this. You know, the bullying I'm thinking about is judges out there who allow knowingly allow lawyers to get away with bullying because there's only really one person in a courtroom. If someone has gone off the rails, there's one person that can stop it. And that is the judge. And as Amy says, you cannot do the judge's job for them. So you have got to make the record. And likewise, I think it's a great piece of advice. We need to know what we're dealing with. So our clients know what we're dealing with. So if we choose a path of action, that nobody is surprised if it ends up being, the result ends up being a little bit different. And it is tough. And I think Amy brings out the two most important points. Stand your ground, be firm but polite, and get it on the record. And get it on the record. As an appellate lawyer, I would definitely echo getting things on the record. 
and you you just have to insist on it um, and object if the judge won't give you a record. Um, that's a real important point because um, you, you don't want to have lack of clarity about what happened, that you wanted a record and the judge wouldn't give it to you and you object to that failure to give you a record. So guys, in, in closing, um, I think in a real important point for lawyers to understand is they think bullying works, but ultimately doesn't it really backfire and hurt their clients? I'm going to go first on this, Scott, because I've, I've, I've got a thought. I really do think it does, and here's why. When you leave a wake of bodies in a case after you've gone through and done a bunch of stuff, it's not necessarily that client that day. It is the client that you have the next time you run into that lawyer that you've laid waste to. Because I can tell you, like it or not, fair or not, it's probably one of my many character faults. If I've been burned once or bullied once, it's a whole different ball game the next time around. And the person that I end up thinks paying, I think pays for it, Scott, is not the lawyer. It's that new client. Amy, your thoughts? Yeah. So two things. So Chief Justice Carolyn Wright always says, protect your bar card with your life. And bullying in the long run is not going to work because this, because what I also tell my mentees is that this is a small world. So behave yourself. And it goes kind of with what Mike's talking about. You are going to come against that person again in the future or another in another case or through bar activities or you see them down at bench bar and you're just going to get a negative reputation about the way that you treat what I refer to as the brothers and sisters of the bar. So long term, it's not going to short term, it's going to work, but long term, it can negatively impact your reputation, which we have to we have to hold it at the highest standard. Scott, Amy, Jim, thank you all for being on the program today. I greatly appreciate it. This is Mike Bassett for Legal Grounds. Be easy, everybody. Legal Grounds was written, recorded, and produced by Dust Devil Press. To learn more about today's guest and for links to the topics and materials discussed, please check out our show notes. For more information on Mike Bassett, visit thebassettfirm.com. Questions, topic ideas, and guest suggestions can be emailed to legalgrounds at thebassettfirm.com.